Hello everybody, welcome back to Mavericks and Misfits. It's Jeff today, as every day when we do the podcast, um, unless my wife is with me. And uh, lately she hasn't been, Amy's got her hands full with so many other things. And um, I love it when we can do some podcasts together. They're usually the most listened to when um, Sister Lyle is on there with me, but um, alas, she has her own callings and time consumptions. And I've been recording a lot of the podcasts lately here at Antioch Outpost in Bethlehem, Georgia. Um, I have a, the ability to record here, the ability to record at our home, and I actually have some mobile equipment, but most of the time I'm sitting in my office like I am today at uh, Antioch Outpost, and I'm glad to be able to do it. Glad, like Really am really glad and privileged to be able to speak into your life, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. Um, if you're a first-time listener, uh, we give a special welcome to you. I'm grateful that you found us. Feel free to reach out at any time. You can email me directly at jeff at maverickmisfit.com, jeff at maverickmisfit.com. I usually am able to answer almost all of the emails unless it's just um, a bunch of them at the same time or I'm inundated with other ministry things, but I like to correspond with those of you that are listening. So if you're a first time listener, welcome. We're glad. I want to talk to you today about something that um, all of us at one point or another um, have to address. I'm going to talking about authority and rebellion. Um, God has instituted within the kingdom multiple um, layers of authority. Uh, clearly, um, God is the um, ultimate authority. Um, if I can be very specific, the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, reigning upon a throne in heaven, governing the cosmos, uh, working all things towards the counsel of his own will. He is sovereign. He is awesome. He is glorious. And he has the unquestionable authority um, in the, in the entire universe. He is the Lord of all. And beneath his sovereign authority, God has instituted layers of authority in our lives. Nobody is free from accountability to authority. Um, we begin under the authority of our parents. God has established in the home authority and that biblical pattern for authority in the home and the, um, what they call the nuclear family, um, the husband, wife, mother, father, child paradigm. Um, that husband is the head of the home. The father is the head of the home working alongside of the wife and the mom. And, um, that paradigm that God has established is meant for the husband to provide headship and the means of providing and protecting, loving and leading. And when it's healthy, that's exactly how it works. It doesn't mean that the mom doesn't have authority or the wife doesn't have any authority. It just means God has established structure within the home and that home is structured to be the husband, father is the head. And, um, that's the way it is. And people don't like that in our day. Some of you may not like that. Just go to the Lord with it. Ask him to change his mind. Ask him to rewrite his Bible. If I can be that provocative, a little tongue in cheek there, but it's right there in the scripture. And when it's done rightly, it is the single best scenario for any home. And within that authority structure, children, it doesn't matter if they're two years old or 32 years old. If you live in your parents' home, you're under their authority, according to the word of God. You can look in Ephesians chapter six, the first two verses, and it tells sons and daughters to obey their parents in the Lord because it's the right thing to do. 
That's Ephesians 6.1. Obey your parents and do it as unto the Lord. This is right. And then it, then it adds this. A lot of people miss this. If you're still living at home, you need to hear this. Not only are you to obey your parents, and that's, of course, as long as they're not asking you to do anything sinful, um, but you obey your parents. But verse 2 of Ephesians 6 says, honor them. You know, it's, it's possible to obey without honoring, and it doesn't count because God's not just looking for robotic obedience. You're to honor. Honor is the inward disposition of your heart towards authority. Obedience is the outward flow of that inward honor. And so it's not merely enough to keep the rules. You have to honor your parents according to the word of God. And so that's the first level of human authority that is built into uh, God's design for the kingdom. And from there, there are other areas of authority that we are all called to obey. I mean, it's just, you look at Romans 13, I believe it's Romans 13. Yeah, it is. Um, And we are commanded to obey the human institutions of government. And of course, that is always in the context, unless the government is forcing you to disobey God, you are to obey human government. And we're supposed to give honor to authority in human government. Uh, People from time to time, especially during election years, they want me to jump on one bandwagon or another, and they want me to rail on one presidential candidate or another. And I just stick to the, to the, to the topics. I stick to the, um, the facts at hand, to the platforms, the principles. What is this person running on? I'll address the principles, but I've just learned to tremble before the Lord that I don't make it personal. Um, our current president, Joe Biden, um, I don't agree with his policies. I'm, I'm, I'm worried for the man, to be honest with you. And I mean no dishonor by that. I am genuinely worried for him. He doesn't seem healthy. Um, mentally, and I'm not, I'm not convinced that the people around him are not propping him up and using him for their own agenda where he is not mentally sharp enough to understand what's happening. Um, I'm not going to attack him. I'm not going to rail on him. I will clearly tell you, I disagree with his leadership principles, what he's doing, but, um, to the degree that he is the head of state in the United States of America, I want the blessing of God to rest on me, so I will obey the Lord and not dishonor the president by, you know, exercising my freedom of speech, which is a blessed freedom that given to me by the American Constitution, the U.S. Constitution. I am happy to use that where um, that freedom of speech is profitable, but I'm not going to use that freedom of speech to undermine the truth of the Word of God, which tells me to honor those in government and authority. I don't agree with them. Um, he wouldn't agree with me if he even knew who I was, but I will honor the position. You that have been in the military learned early on that you salute the rank. You may not respect the person who wears the rank, but you salute the rank. And that's a principle that is true um, in the kingdom. For those of us that want to honor the Lord, we salute the rank. And so you've got governmental authority. Um, I respect the police, uh, police agencies, uh, law enforcement. Um, do they always do the right thing? No, of course not. Um, but I will respect them. You see me get pulled over. I'm going to honor that policeman and, uh, you know, I'm going to, to obey the laws of the land as unto the Lord. And I want to do, do that with a heart of honor. Uh, I think the area that I'm going to talk about today is the issue of human authority in the church. This is a, a thing that, um, I think it's always been challenged, but now it is being challenged at a level that is alarming. Um, Do we regard human authority in the church? 
Um, do we honor the fact that God calls, appoints, and establishes human leaders uh, within the kingdom of God and within the uh, proper use of those callings and that authority that God gives them and the roles that they have when they're using it properly? What is our attitude towards them? Um, I've, I've seen in Scripture, especially in the life of Moses, he's a, he's a fascinating study when you look at Moses's life and life work uh, through the lens of spiritual leadership. He's a fascinating study. And there clearly, um, he was a reluctant leader. He was an old man. He'd wasted pretty much the second half of his life when God called him. He was um, a man who tried to lead in the flesh around the age of 40 years old and ended up committing murder and lived the next 40 years as kind of an exile uh, out of Egypt. He was um, a shepherd spent 40 years in the desert leading sheep. And at 80 years old, God said, okay, I think you're about ready now for you to fulfill the calling I have for you. I'm sending you back to Egypt to deliver my people. And so at 80 years old, Moses travels back to Egypt. Um, the 10 plagues hit Egypt because Pharaoh didn't want to let the people go. God splits the Red Sea. Moses leads probably a million people across the split sea. And they're, they're heading towards the land of inheritance that was promised to their forefather Abraham. And um, Moses found out that delivered people, people that are saved, people that have crossed the Red Sea from slavery into inheritance or towards inheritance. Moses learned really quickly that he got them out of Egypt, but <laughs> Egypt did not get out of the people. And so Moses's ministry to Egypt as he led, excuse me, to Israel as he led them towards the promised land. Um, the first really thing that they did is they just started committing idolatry. They built the golden calf and worshiped the calf. God's up. Moses is up on the mountain having a time with God, getting the, you know, the law of God by direct revelation. He comes down off the mountain and the people are worshiping the golden calf. So that right there was like kind of an indicator. This is not going to be an easy assignment that Moses received from God. And then it was just a short time after that, that the pattern of murmuring and complaining arose among the people of God. They did not honor Moses nor Aaron, who was a spokesperson for Moses quite often. And ultimately, here's, here's what's interesting. Even Aaron and Miriam, Moses' spiritual siblings, uh, physical siblings, his brother, Miriam was his sister, Aaron was his brother, they ended up rebelling against Moses. Uh, Moses had appointed 70 people to help him lead, and Miriam and Aaron weren't on the list, and they got upset, and they murmured against Moses' authority, and they said, we, we've got insight, we've got leadership, we've, we've got wisdom, why, why can't we lead? And God said, oh, you are really, really pushing the limits. Miriam, let me give you a timeout, and I'm going to let you deal with a little leprosy. <laughs> Real subtle there from the Almighty. Um, when Moses' sister and brother murmured against Moses' leadership, they failed to honor the one that God had appointed. God said, let me give you something else to think about. And Miriam contracted leprosy. Moses interceded. Miriam got the fear of God back on her, and she was ultimately delivered from that leprosy. But why am I telling you all this? Because from day one in Moses' ministry of leadership, he experienced a lack of respect and honor and obedience from those that he led. I mean, you can read, just read the book of Exodus and the constant cycles. Go into book of Numbers, chapter 13 and 14, and you're just going to see that the murmuring and the complaining and the rebellion was uh, just really intense for Moses. And the people refused to obey. But what's interesting is in every turn where there was rebellion and murmuring and complaining against Moses' leadership, Moses didn't even want the job originally. But God chose him. God appointed him. 
God gave Moses the job to lead Israel, and therefore Moses was God's man. And ultimately, you're going to find a couple of places in the book of Exodus where the people rebelled against Moses, and God said, actually, you're rebelling against me. Here's a very important principle that we need to get in the kingdom. When God establishes individuals to lead, he calls them, he equips them, he gifts them. By the way, they're all in process, so none of them are going to lead perfectly. And God knew that when he called them. But he established them. And when we rebel against those leaders, we, in essence, are rebelling against the will of God. And God will give pushback on that. So you've got Miriam and you've got um, Aaron rebelling. You've got the entire people group of Israel rebelling um, and murmuring. They, most of their rebellion was in the form of of murmuring. They were murmuring and complaining all the time about everything. Um, and they forgot, man, they were slaves in Egypt and somehow they lost sight of that and ended up, you know, just complaining and whining and murmuring and to the point where Moses wanted to die. <laughs> he literally asked God to kill him at one point. And so, but here's the, here's the, I think probably if you want to see how intense this issue of rebellion is, and how intensely God hates it. You need to go to Numbers 16. If you, if you go to the book of Numbers, chapter 16, you don't need to do it right now, but I'm because I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. But there's a man named Korah. And Korah was of the same tribe as Moses and Aaron and Miriam. He was a Levite. Korah had some leadership gifts and abilities. Korah had a following, 250 people. What were they following Korah in? Rebellion against Moses' authority. It's, it's right there in number 16. And interesting what the, the kind of the mantra, the complaint or the platform that Korah operated in was that Moses, he, he, he accused Moses of siphoning off position and power for Moses' own self. And that is such an often repeated accusation against kingdom leaders whom God appoints, who are accountable to God for how they use their authority and leadership. Um, God expects a person when he appoints and calls and establishes them to lead, he expects them to do it. He expects them not to obey the voice of the people. And he does expect them to operate in the New Testament sense with the heart of Christ, the wisdom of, of the word of God, the, the following and walking in the Holy Spirit. But um, God holds those whom he calls to a high level of accountability. And so what often happens is leaders, true leaders in the kingdom, will eventually make decisions that are unpopular with those that are following them. And when that happens, it's a test from heaven for everybody involved. It's a test from heaven whether or not we will follow a God-appointed leader and honor. Honor. You know, the writer of Hebrews said, obey those that have the rule over you. And he's speaking in the New Testament church context. So right there, there are people that have authoritative ruling power from God in the church, it's undeniable. And how we honor those people, not worship them, not unilaterally, you know, follow them with 
no ability or right to question or ask questions. It's a spirit of rebellion that becomes actions of rebellion. And some people just have a rebellious spirit. They think that their job is to keep the leader in check. They think that their job is to constantly challenge the leader. And what's interesting is there's zero, zero biblical allowance for that. And the way, the reason why they permit themselves to do it is they say, we're not real sure this is a leader appointed by God. We're not real sure that the rank that they're wearing, they deserve to wear. We're not real sure that we like the way they're leading. And if we don't like the way that they're leading, because it's not the way we would lead, maybe this person's just not a leader of God. And aha, that gives me an allowance to dishonor and rebel. And so this guy named Cora had a little bit of that in him. And by the way, Cora, man. What a stark example of the dangers of a rebellious spirit that becomes rebellious activity that finds itself in rebellion against God as it rebels against God-appointed leaders. And so if you look in number 16, you're going to find out that Korah became a dis, um, discontent individual in, in the Israelite camp. And somehow or another, he gained 250 chiefs of the congregation. That's what, what these guys are called. So these are power brokers. 250 very prominent men sided with Korah against Moses' leadership. So this wasn't, you know, some little peon in the nation of Israel just whining and complaining. This was a coup. This was a leader leading other influential chiefs of the congregation in Israel to usurp the authority and overthrow Moses's leadership so Korah could take it on himself. What was their reasoning for that? Well, it's expressed in a very short summary in number 16.3 that these 250 men with Korah as their leader, they assembled themselves together against Moses and Aaron. And this is what they said. You have gone too far for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Do you get that? And guys, let me just tell you from my experience in um, good night since 1996, I've been in vocational local church leadership. So that's going on 30 years. I can't believe I'm old enough to say that. That's going on 30 years of, of, you know, my life being committed to local church leadership. And most of those, the vast majority of those years as the senior leader of a local church. And I'm going to tell you, this spirit is still alive in the church. It's a spirit of somebody that has leadership gifting, leadership instincts, uh, has perhaps on some level a very, very strong heart for the things of the Lord, but they end up resenting that they don't have the chief position in the church because God didn't give it to them. God gave it to whoever the leader is. And, but the, the Cora spirit, it gets to the point where it's like, I, I'm sick of not being able to use my gifts at the optimum level. I'm sick of having to submit to the authority of somebody that I think I could actually lead better than this person. Uh, I've got the support of my, my crew. I've got some people in the church in Cora's case, it was 250 men and, and prominent leaders, chiefs. So Cora was leading some prominent people. He was leading leaders and he was leading them into rebellion against God's established authority. And who knows, man, maybe Korah was a better leader than Moses in the natural. Maybe Korah was more gifted than Moses in the spirit, like things God had put in Korah. The problem was, is that Korah had never been given permission nor offered 
the responsibility of being the leader of Israel. God gave that to Moses. And somewhere along the line, Korah got sick of it. And this is what the accusation was. He's saying, hey, Moses, who do you think you are? Hey, Aaron, who do you think you are? You two guys have promoted yourselves, which was just patently untrue. It was 100% not true. But that was the accusation. What's happening there? Korah is projecting upon Moses what was actually going on in Korah's own heart. Korah was the one advancing himself. Korah was the one that wanted the spotlight. Korah was the one who wanted the, the privileges and the influence of leadership. And Korah was the one scrambling and climbing, trying to get the position. But he's accusing Moses of doing that very thing. And Moses actually never did that. Moses tried to get out of his calling. And God said, no, Moses, you're the guy. You're going to go. And Moses ultimately went, but he didn't go because he wanted the position. He, he went because he had to obey the Lord. And now here Korah is sometime later, and he's, he's, he's saying on behalf of these 250 leaders, he's saying, we're all holy. What does that mean? He's like, hey, Moses, you ain't got nothing that we don't have. You know, we know the Lord too. We, it would be paraphrased today. Hey, look, we know the Bible. We know, we know the Lord. We, we've got the Holy Spirit. We've got leadership gifts. You know, we know how to do ministry. Who are you, New Testament kingdom leader? Who are you? You're promoting yourself. You're trying to have power. And was, it's so ironic that people that rebel against authority somewhere try to slip in the accusation of it's all about power to you. You're, you're trying to keep your position of power. When in all actuality, typically these, these people that are prone to rebel against human authority in the church, they're actually wanting the power. It, it basically, when somebody says, hey, man, that leader's got too much power, what they're actually saying is they're saying, I don't have enough power. I want more power. But that person's got the power. So we're going to have to get that person out of that power position. And as soon as that person's removed out of the power position, the rebel steps into the power position. And how do you think they're going to lead? Well, God wasn't having any of this from Korah back in the day. And um, as soon as Moses heard in number 16 what Korah said to them, when he asked, Korah said, why are you exalting yourself above the assembly of the Lord? Patently untrue accusation, but that was the way Korah was perceiving things. And the first, the next verse says that Moses fell on his face before God. Moses' response to the accusation was to the fear of the Lord. He realized, oh my goodness, this whole nation may get in trouble over this thing. I got 251 leaders coming after me. Korah and 250 people, and they're all demanding Moses' resignation, so to speak. Well, let me truncate the story here for the sake of time. Moses got on his face, and God spoke to him. Basically, God said, why don't you call Korah and all of these men? Let's get everybody in a meeting. And Moses, I want you to call on me. I want you to ask me to make a distinction between you and Korah. I want you to ask me to visibly demonstrate who my appointed leader is. Who do I have to lead the children of Israel? So that's exactly what happened. A short time later, uh, Korah and his 250, and then um, Moses, uh, they assembled themselves. Moses knew what was going to happen, and he told all of Israel, you better get away from Korah. God is going to open up the earth and swallow Korah. If you're standing next to Korah, you're going down with Korah. Some of y'all may need to hear that. When you stand with somebody that is opposing 
God's appointed leadership in the church. You're going to go down with them. Now, I'm going to balance this out by asserting and submitting this truth. Leaders with position are not unquestionable. We are allowed to ask questions. We are allowed to receive answers. There is accountability even for the top level leaders. I don't believe in a single leader model in the church. I think it's deadly at times because it's not good for that single leader to be unaccountable. And it's definitely not good for those that the senior leader is leading. And so you have to have a built in system where there are checks and balances and accountability. But when God has truly established an individual that at times you may not like, you may not agree with, you may see a different way of doing things. You may wish that they would be removed because the way they're leading is not the way you lead. You just need to be careful. And if you're influenced by a person like that, you need to be very, very careful because the closer you get to that person, the more the condemnation that's coming to them is going to get on you. And so what is, what happens? So ultimately, um, Chorus steps out of his tent. He's there with his wife and his children and the literal earth opens up and they drop down into it and they all die. And then for the 250 men that were following Korah in their rebellion against Moses and Aaron, God himself sent fire out of heaven and burned them all up. Not pleasant, right? It's not supposed to be comfortable. It's supposed to serve as a stark warning to me and to you that we had better be wise, humble, and extremely um, discerning in how we regard and interact with God's established human authority in the kingdom. Now, what I want to submit to you right now is I'm not in a season where I am being rebelled against, at least not that I know of in my leadership. I have the privilege of leading in a few different ministries, really three. And as far as I know, I don't have any rebellion, but, um, I have in the past, I've, I've had some of the most intense rebellion against me and all, all leaders in local churches that are doing it for the glory of God have experienced this. I don't want anybody feeling sorry for me. I don't want anybody sending me flowers because every time I was rebelled against, it was an opportunity for me to do a check on my spirit. What's going on in my heart? What can I learn about what I'm being accused of? Is there any truth to it? Can I become a better leader through this? But at no point is the right response for that God-appointed leader, then no point is the right response to come into agreement with things that are being said that are untrue about that leader. So in other words, it's not humility to say, y'all are right, I'm wrong, if you're not wrong. And so a leader at times has to learn how to walk between the tension of welcoming God to fight your battles versus speaking truth and giving appropriate pushback. I don't know if you know this, but the entire book of second Corinthians was Paul's, um, regrettable. He didn't, reluctant is a better word. Paul's reluctant entering into a defense of his apostleship because people were tearing his name and his ministry apart. And all throughout the book of Second Corinthians, he's like, I really don't want to do this. I really don't want to do this. This is real. I'm speaking like a fool. I'm having to enter into your contest. I don't like doing this. But since you've made me um, address these things you're saying, I'm going to address it. And he has to defend his apostleship and his calling. And sometimes leaders will have to do that. 
And ultimately, what we're looking at here is um, the church is now existing in the United States of America, um, right in the midst of a culture that has zero regard for authority. We live in a borderline anarchy kind of environment, and that has hit the church. And there is such a high demand for everybody's um, wants and wishes to be validated that if leaders don't do that, they are accused of being unloving and unkind and unscriptural and not like Jesus because you didn't give me what I wanted the way I wanted it. And um, the Lord hasn't changed his mind about the way he does things. So practical application for any and all who are willing to consider it. Um, you don't have to agree with your leaders in a local church. As a matter of fact, you're probably not always going to agree with your leader. Your leader is supposed to challenge you. Leader or leaders, they're supposed to challenge you. They're supposed to, at times, rebuke you. Paul told Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season. Be ready out of season. Reprove people. Rebuke people and exhort them with all patience and teaching. So part of the call of a New Testament leader involves rebuking people, correcting people. And man, people just, they get so offended now. Um, do you remember when Jesus was, was preaching? He was preaching in the Gospels and he set up a parable to intentionally call out the Pharisees. And at the end of it, the Pharisees, the Bible says the Pharisees uh, perceived that he had spoken this word against them. Jesus actually preached publicly at least once a message that was aimed at part of his audience to rebuke them. You do that today, man. Oh, good night. A lot of people have no appetite for that. Like, I can't believe that he said that he knows that was aimed at me. He said X, Y, and Z in the pulpit. And he, I, I know he was talking to me. Well, maybe he was, and maybe he wasn't, but if he was, you need to consider was what was said supposed to bring you to a place of correction. So this rebellious attitude, and yes, we listen, we know that there are abusive, power-hungry, ungodly leaders in the church. If that is the reality at wherever you go to church, I would suggest you leave that leader. Walk away. Like literally, walk away. But if, if that leader is just somebody who's bothering you, but you don't see anything sinful or unscriptural that they're doing. You just don't like the way that they're leading in a certain season. You don't like a message that they preached. You don't like the way they're doing kingdom ministry. You don't like the vision of the church and all of that. Hey, I'm just going to, I'm going to get raw with you here. Um, God may be saying things to that leader that he's not obligated to make sure it's okay with you. Like maybe you're just not hearing the Lord the way the, the God appointed leader is. Maybe that leader is doing everything they're supposed to do. And it's just unpopular with you. And you just need based on the examples. I know it's an extreme example. I'm not telling you, Hey, look, man, if you complain against your pastor or your leader, the earth's going to swallow you. I'm not going to tell you that that's the case. But what Cora did was he was cultivating a overthrow of Moses and he was influencing other leaders. It was a coup. It was a direct assault on God's plan for Israel. And the Korah and his crew thought they were coming up against Moses. What they didn't realize is by coming up against Moses, they were actually coming up against Moses' God. And um, Moses responded the right way. And God made it very evident who his man was. And it wasn't Korah. 
So I've learned over the years, and I haven't always been the senior leader in the church. Um, I remember spending three years, three plus years, actually five years, uh, five years as a support staff underneath a senior pastor that I regularly disagreed with. Um, completely different leader than I was. Um, I had a hard time honoring him in my heart and God left me in that place where I had no position. I had no authority. I had no power. I had a job to do and I had to learn how to salute the rank, even when I was struggling with how to perceive the person that wore that rank. And ultimately, um, the Lord trained me, taught me, broke me dealt with my pride, dealt with my arrogance, dealt with my presumption that I might be a better leader than this man if God ever gave me the chance. God just basically said, Jeff, I'm going to teach you how to follow somebody that you don't always agree with. And that was a priceless lesson to this very day. It's made me a better leader because I know that sometimes those that I lead don't always agree with me and I understand how they feel. Having said all of that, I just want to say to us all, as I close out today's podcast, we need to recognize that God establishes authority and he always opposes rebellion. Always. And if you cannot follow the authority that God has established, the human authority in your church or a ministry you're the plugged into, you don't need to rebel and overthrow. You need to put yourself under a different leader that you can trust and follow. There is not an option for you to be leaderless in the kingdom. There's not an option for you to be such a maverick, Mavericks and Misfits podcast listeners, such a maverick that you just say, I ain't going to put myself under anybody. That's rebellion against God's design. You need spiritual authority in your life. You need accountability. You need leadership. So in a certain way, God places us in a context of living out our lives in the kingdom that says, I am accountable. I do have authority in my life. I need to be wise about whom, uh, who is the one that I place myself under as the human authority in my life. I need to be wise about that. But once I have followed the Lord and I've joined a church or a ministry, I've committed to it. I've entered into covenant with a local assembly. Those established leaders are my leaders and God will be watching me both in my heart with or without honor, whatever's in my heart and also my obedience. And guys, here's the beauty. You're never going to give an account for the leader in your life. You're never going to give an account for how they led you. You'll give a full account for how you followed. Korah is an extreme example in the, in the Old Testament, but he's there for a reason. So let's be wise about how we regard the Moseses in our lives, and let's honor them as unto the Lord. We'll talk to you next time on Mavericks and Misfits. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Mavericks and Misfits. If you were helped by what Jeff shared today, please take a moment to rate and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or Spotify. Your review helps us enlarge our digital footprint to reach more potential listeners every week. Also, please take advantage of the free written and video resources made available at transformingtruth.org. Join us again every Tuesday for a brand new episode of Mavericks and Misfits.